0: Let's pray. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning as beggars. Uh, we bring nothing in our hands, uh, but we come to you and ask for grace. Pour your spirit on us again. Uh, we ask that we might know you, uh, live for you, understand what you have to say to us, uh, embrace it uh, with all our Uh, all all our being we pray particularly that you help us to understand the world around us uh, better and better and to love the world around us more and more Uh, protection from the evil one and getting sucked into ways of thinking and living uh, that would dishonour you Uh, give us we pray courage as we seek to hold your life giving gospel out to those lost in darkness bless us therefore in our time together Uh, And the children next door, uh, likewise, we ask in your own name. Amen. Okay, so we're doing this series on um, a strange new world. Trying to understand the the world we live in nowadays. Um, Repeated theme say every week. If you live in Delhi, you understand Hinduism. If you live in Mecca, you understand Islam. If you live in the UK, what are you understanding? Given there is not a kind of official religion. Uh, And this is both for defence and attack. So it's both for defending ourselves against uh, being sucked in, obviously that the ideologies around us infiltrate the church, Uh, but equally we want to be able to go and reach people with the the gospel. Uh, And last week, uh, we thought about this idea of expressive individualism uh, being, if you like, a a summary term for what most people, I suppose the average person on the street, um, uh, believes, uh, what is expressive individualism? We, we spoke about the idea that it's each person being free to express their inner feelings. So who you are is found by looking within, not outside to your heritage or your church or your community, but you look within. And the, the example I've, I've used this example a few times over the last year or two, but I really like the example of dancing. Whereas in the past, you learn how to do country dancing in your village or Scottish dancing or you know, whatever they call it, proper, proper kind of like Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice dancing. Nowadays... It's a case if you go out and you just dance You express yourself rather than fitting into um, The community around it's a, I think that's a great example From a guy called Roger Scruton of the shift uh, And so what, what we're doing What we started to do last week We're going to do it this week And we'll, we'll finish it off next week Is try to understand kind of how we got here The story of how we got here So essentially, I mean, to be blunt about it What we're looking at is some key philosophers In Western history now, that is going to put some of you off straight away. Um, it sounds like, uh, you know, a class I didn't want to take in school, um, boring philosophy, aren't we meant to be studying the Bible, that kind of thing. But, but actually, for us in the West, at least for the last 300, 350 years, the philosophers are the religious leaders. They are the priests, the evangelists, the theologians. Just because they don't take the name of God on their lips, almost always, doesn't mean they're not religious and so, again, it is as important to understand at least what they think. We're not going to become experts in their lives and all that sort of thing. But the kind of, to understand their basic message as it would be to understand the various Islamic, you know, it was a Sunni and a Shiite or whatever, if you were uh, living out in the Middle East. Um, of course, no one reads their books. And don't, get, don't misunderstand this series. I have, I have not read most of their books. again. <laughs> um, this is largely going off the back. I mentioned a guy called Carl Truman last week, who's written a couple of really helpful kind of summaries and guides for Christians. None of us read their books. We don't sit down and read Hegel and Rousseau and Marx and Nietzsche and all the rest of it. But, if you like, they're the kind of, you know, ivory tower academics, and, and their thought percolates down to the rest of us through things like art, music, TV, and all the rest of it. So... Um, in, in a, obviously this is a huge summary but I, I think it's a helpful way of, of summarising how we got from uh, a, a country at least that was basically Christian in its outlook, doesn't mean everyone was born again, real Christian but you know what I mean, say up to about 1650, people are basically Christian everyone goes to church more or less, how have we got from there to where we are today three big steps, last one we looked at last week, sorry, we looked at romanticism and the enlightenment, summarise it as be yourself this week, I want to look at um, a guy called Karl Marx, Free Yourself, and next week, Freud, Express Yourself, um, which is particularly about your sexuality. Be yourself, free yourself, express yourself. If you forget everything else, that, I, I hope, is a helpful summary of this new religion, this expressive individualism. Be yourself, free yourself, express yourself. So let's look at it. We're going to look a bit today at this guy, Karl Marx. Um, he he's a bit further down the line so we looked at Russo last time the Enlightenment we've moved on essentially or so and he's he's coming into a world where one of the dominant thinkers is a guy called Hegel and Hegel taught that that human beings are shaped by ideas Um, spirit kind of evolves over time and so you get um, one of the things you might have heard of is the idea of a thesis antithesis an antithesis and then a synthesis An idea comes into contract with another con- conflict with another idea and emerging from that is the synthesis the third idea and then that synthesis becomes the thesis it clashes with another one emerge, and on we go so human beings are always changing um as ideas as spirit i mean hegel's really difficult to understand but they're always changing as this sort of idea evolves this way of thought evolves uh, you might think, yeah, isn't that right? That's just obvious. But that's very different from the idea that God has given revelation. This is the truth. Here it is in the Bible. So I'm going to evolve or change. You're not meant to... You, you might grow in your understanding of this, but the truth itself isn't changing. The reality itself isn't changing. You're meant to just learn what God says. Whereas suddenly we're on the, human beings are on this sort of journey of evolution. Marx came along and said, well, okay, I like this whole idea of sort of progress and one thing clashes with another and the third thing emerges and then on we go. But, but forget all that kind of slightly odd stuff about spirit and idea. It's much more materialistic than that. There's no God, there's no spirit, whatever that might be. Instead, what shapes everybody is, is economics. Everything is about Economics. Um, It is your environment that that controls who you are, how you think, and all the rest of it. Economics drives everything for for Marx. It's not just about your workplace or the business world or, um, I don't know, the chancellor or something like that. Every area of your life, you are shaped by, by the economic drive. So shops, schools, churches, brownies, tennis club, whatever it is, everything is all about economics, really. Um, Marx had a kind of a Marxist version of sin, so that the worst thing that can happen is you can be, be, be alienated. So it's almost like his version of sin. Um, the, real, the real tragedy is when, when a human being is alienated, suffers alienation, experiences alienation. I'll put down there an example of it on the, on the sheet, I think. But um, if you're a worker in a factory and you're building a car, and and this wasn't Marx's example because I've no cars, but um, you're a worker in a factory, and your job just every day is to drill that one bolt onto the wheel of the Ferrari or whatever. You never even see the final car, let alone get to own one. So you're disconnected from the thing you're making. You're alienated. There's no real sort of satisfaction for you. Uh, You're just a little cog in a machine that that doesn't benefit you at all. Uh, Again, if you're thinking so far, just me, this is dull... Just stick with it, because it <laughs> does, does land into Christianity. Um, Marx, Marx was, therefore, a really fierce critic of religion, and being, given that he was in the West, Christianity was his target. Um, he, he totally bought into the kind of Enlightenment thing that, of course, doesn't God doesn't exist. Okay, anyone sensible knows God doesn't exist. That's just taken as granted. But, but Marx goes further. It's not just that Christianity is a bit dumb, and no one nowadays can believe in it. Christianity actually is the problem, or one of the major problems. So remember, everything's about economics. Okay? He thinks the whole world is driven by economics. So, so for Marx, Christianity was a tool for keeping the, the, the working classes, proletariat, you know, they sort of briefly from school, keeping the working classes in their place. So why does the priest or the preacher tell you that you must be, um, you mustn't drink? mustn't be lazy. You must be faithful to one wife. You must raise your kids. Um, why do we get those passages in, in the Bible about serve your earth, earthly master as if you're serving Christ? Mark says, well, it's obvious. It's because religion, especially Christianity, is a tool for, keep, for oppressing the, the workers. Okay? It is the, to the advantage of the, the middle classes or the upper classes to, to keep the working man in his place. So they, kind of, they use this idea of a God who doesn't exist but they use this idea of a God to scare you into obedience. Christianity is a tool for oppression. And that's why we wanted it overthrown. We're never going to be free until we can throw off the shackles of Christianity. So if you look at the blue quote, quote on your sheet, it's a bit of Marx. When someone says to you, what do you do at church? Oh, I just read the works of Karl Marx. And religion is the sign of the oppressed creature. The heart of a heartless world and a soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. Maybe you've heard that phrase, religion is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. Okay, two or three sentences, but really strong, isn't it? The opium of the people, i.e. the drug that kind of keeps them in their place, zones them out so they don't realize the truth of reality. And they'll never be really happy until they throw off the shackles of this religion and again religion for Marx is Christianity in particular so religion its make-believe Christianity is make-believe it, it's, it's promising false hope it doesn't exist but it's all about promising this if you just you know you live the way we tell you to everything will be alright when you die and go to heaven okay? it, it, just keep screwing the bolt into the, into the wheel just keep harvesting the cross but don't cause any trouble and everything will be okay in the end and it's all there to oppress the workers So if we're going to be free and happy, we've got to throw off the shackles of Christianity. What does that mean for us? Why are we talking about it on a Sunday morning? Again, on this journey to where we are today, maybe already you can hear some themes that are quite prevalent in in our society. Um, I'll put two or three things down there. We're going to do some discussion in a minute. But two or three things on the sheet. Um, Christianity is therefore for people who are intellectually weak and can't see through the delusion. If if you're you're dumb enough to fall for this, Um, you are intellectually inferior. Um, Secondly, you're never going to be fulfilled until you've thrown off the shackles of religion. Christianity is an oppressive thing. So if you want to be happy, it's a child growing up in in a Christian home, if you want to be happy, you you need to break away from mum and dad trying to control you. And every institution... Again... Every every part of society, whether it is a sort of um, you know a major thing like a big corporation like I don't know Toyota or whatever, um, or, or whether it is literally the local girl guys, brownies or whatever, every area of society is is political. Um, it's either involved in the fight for freedom, or it's part of the oppression, maintaining the status quo. Again, I can slightly jump in the gun here, but you can sort of see that, can't you, nowadays, in the way that, that the politics has got into everything. Um, sport, yeah, but I think I used the example two or three weeks ago, you know, when kids come back from brownies. Um, yeah, the, when my, my sister went to brownies in the 80s, it's about, I don't know, learning to light a campfire and sing ging or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, nowadays they're been taught sort of, basically, essentially, politicised stuff about... Um, they came home and said, oh, daddy, you know, we're not meant to call each other she or something. And the other girls, you can't say her, you've got to say them. And they couldn't explain it, but there's obviously some little lecture they got on transgender. Um, <laughs> footballers wearing armbands, all the rest of it. You know, you can think of the examples. Um, your, your company probably has a gay pride month or something like that. But every sphere is political. Because <clears throat> the whole of humanity is about this clash and this fight and this fight for freedom. And there is no, ironically, <laughs> to use their language, there is no safe space. You're either fighting for freedom or you're an oppressor. It's inescapable. So, as Marx, we're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit about that free yourself stuff um, in groups in a moment. Um, just a, a little kind of addendum. Um, Nietzsche, who, again, somebody would have, would have heard of, no doubt, um, huge figure in, in the kind of history of thought. He, he came along and said, uh, again, just a sort of, um, similar kind of era as Marx, <laughs> He's got a famous essay called The Madman, or it's a sexual book called The Madman, and this, this guy comes into the village, and he... I, I always gave you the, the excerpt, but it's probably a bit long. But he, he runs into the village, and he... He's he, he shouting, God is dead. Okay, we've killed God. And the villagers laugh at him, and, you know... And, and the whole point of this thing is that the, the madman realises that if you get rid of God, you've got rid of everything. Um, and Nietzsche's big critique um, of... Basically, of most people is... You, You say you don't believe in God anymore, but you're still living as if he's there. But if you get rid of God, for example, why would there be any morality that is absolute? Who says? The Christians, with their made-up God, say, don't steal, don't kill, one wife, all the rest of it. But if there is no God, who's making up these rules? There are no rules. So who's left to create the morality? We do it ourselves. And he, he, I, I've only just remembered this this morning, actually, but he's got this really... He really goes at the English. No, it might be the British, but I think it's just the English. Um, and and he, he's... Think of sort of Victorian middle-class morality. Not, you guys, you all read, really, You know, whatever, Darwinists, and you know, all this sort of stuff. But you say you don't believe in God, and yet you've still got this really kind of moral framework. It's ridiculous. You can't have both. Okay? If you're going to say you're an atheist, be an atheist. Um, don't try and keep ideas about um, it's essential to be kind to one another or love one another or put one another first you can't keep that if you've got rid of God Nietzsche in, in many ways is really good he's totally wrong but a really helpful ally against atheist friends who probably because they're nice people want to keep a load of these sort of good rules but they make no sense if there's no God up there so Nietzsche really drives this home everything changes, there's no judge, there's no standard there's no morality um he, in fact, he, he will, he will criticise Christianity as slave morality. Okay, if there's no God up there, then who's the most powerful being left? Well, it's us. There is no one above us, so it's human beings. And one of the problems with Christianity, he calls it slave morality. It's a way of the weak trying to control the strong. So when we say things like, you mustn't steal, it's just because we don't want to be stolen from. It's, it, whereas, why shouldn't the strong man take what he wants? We say, just one wife, you mustn't you know, grab other women. Why? Because the weak don't want their wives stolen by the strong. But that's ridiculous, says Nietzsche. Why not? So the two of them are, Marx and Nietzsche, they're actually, they're kind of buddies but opposites. Marx is saying religion is a tool for the powerful to oppress the weak. Nietzsche is saying it's a tool for the weak to defend themselves against the, the poor, to enslave, sorry, to the rich, the wealthy, the powerful both of them are saying we've got to throw off these shackles we create ourselves it's up to us right and wrong it's a matter of, <coughs> of taste um there is no one to whom we're accountable and and your struggle as a human being ought to be to throw yourself off and realize there is no one up th- above that and any attempt to tell you to live like christ or whatever is an attempt to enslave you throw off the shackles now we're gonna do some discussion. Let me just pause that. I am definitely not a Nietzsche or Marx expert by any means, but at least at the kind of entry level we're talking about it, does anyone want to ask anything at this stage before we do a little bit of discussion? This time it's gonna be on what we've just heard, and then we're gonna have a second discussion later where we're looking at a passage of John. We will get Bible. <laughs> Happy so far? Or any philosophy experts want to correct anything? Good, okay, round tables. Where do you see this message, free yourself? You've got to throw off the shackles. Where do you see it in popular culture today? And kind of as part of that, who, who what do we need freeing from? And where do you see this idea that we can create ourselves to find who we want to be? Um, yeah, how do you... Either kind of... Anyway, just go for it. You go for it. <laughs> Okay, I really want to get on to the second discussion, so let me just interrupt you there. <coughs> any, any quick, quick ideas? Um, where do you see the message of free yourself? Or, or do we need freeing from? What did you talk about? Yeah? It's probably the opposite of what Mark's meant, but sometimes there's like car commercials or deodorant commercials where if you, you know, you buy our stuff, you're free. Yeah, totally. the opposite well, yeah. <laughs> you might be quite pleased that you know ordinary people can do that. But yeah, um, yeah, and that would fit with creating yourself as well. Like you buy one of our cars or wear our deodorant, and suddenly you are the kind of person who's incredibly attractive. You have made yourself into a yeah. yeah. The com- commercials are basically built on this, aren't they? You know, selling the dream, creating yourself, um, other stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's like getting closer and looser. But I think that, yep. I think it might, if you push people, I think they would be like, well, actually, no, I do think there is a bit of writing. But maybe it's just moving. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. So um, when I said earlier, like, Nietzsche is kind of our friend, although he's totally opposite of us. But he's helpful in saying basically almost what Paul is saying in Romans 1. So Paul says in Romans 1, you all know there is a God and, you, and that is revealed by the fact that you actually do live you do know moral standards um, you, you might have never read the Bible but you know that whatever stealing adultery whatever is wrong um, so, so they're almost invert two sides of the coin <laughs> Nietzsche's saying if there's no God anything goes but no one's actually living like that you know be proper atheists and Paul's saying look shows you you're not real atheist, isn't not it because you yeah so no one will ever get rid of absolute right and wrongs certainly but that's a really good example. I hadn't thought about that. The freedom marriage. If you're, if you're married and, you know, it's just not out for you, you've got to chuck off the shackles. You know, you owe it to yourself. Um, yeah, it's a good example. Um, I have a okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, just totally like... Yeah. So perhaps it's worth saying... what. When you do these kind of... You know, you either read the the Carl Truman books or... There's no one person who, like, perfectly embodies the modern world. Everyone's actually going to be different. These are sort of... In in a a bit like you're trying to... Every Christian has actually got some slightly different ideas or um, every Muslim you reach is not just this sort of stereotype Muslim. So we're talking kind of big-picture ideas and you're going to have to dig down and see where does the rubber hit the road with your particular friends or family or whatever. Um, Let me keep going because I want to do the second discussion, really. Um, So this whole idea of free yourself, throw off the shackles... um, for Marx, it's all about economics. Probably not many of us are sort of so into that nowadays. Um, but that Marxist framework, um, where you have got the oppressor, the oppressed, and the need, therefore, for revolution to break free. That idea is all over the place, and particularly in our modern world. You might have heard people talk about cultural Marxism, that sort of thing. Oppressor, oppressed, and a need for freedom. And um, You can take that out of the realm of economics factory owner oppressing workers they need to rise up break free and, and you can put it into the almost anything else and one of the ways that, that the societies you know um, analyse nowadays is this idea of there is the the baddie overlords the oppressed minority or not minority and, and, and these guys need to rise up and overthrow break free of the sort of horrible oppressors um, that is why so that little picture there that, that picture is totally nuts There's a picture from a rally. If you can't read the words, queers against Israeli apartheid, and that's the Palestinian flag on the left. Why on earth would you get the sort of really left-wing politicians and people of that persuasion in the UK who kind of would be with Marx on the economic side of things, why on earth would you get them um, aligning with, let's say, the... um, uh, let's say the LGBT alliance, Okay, well, what's the link between sort of economically oppressed, oppressor rise up, throw it off and LGBT well they say well look it's the same sort of battle just transferred from the world of economics to sexuality, you've got the um, the male um, patriarchy heterosexual oppressing the minority I don't know Lesbian or transgender, whatever. So the same pattern is taken oppressor, oppressed, need to fight to freedom, transfer into the world of sexuality. Oppressor, male, patriarchy, heterosexual, oppressing minorities, lesbian, gay, whatever. So we, the left wing, sort of economically, politically type people, will therefore make common cause with the LGBTQ movement the totally bizarre thing where you get to with this picture is they then look at, this is an example of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, note there there's no Christchurch central position on the Arab-Israeli conflict. And uh, yes, yeah, so this no. is not a political thing. Um, but um, you will often, you'll get posters like that, lesbians for Palestine or whatever. And, like, if you go to... <laughs> Palestine, an Islamic country they are not really very pro you know, LGBTQ rights really, really, really not so how on earth can you get a flag that has a rainbow flag and the Palestinian flag well because, at least in the narrative as they have told it, again, not adults um, you've got nasty oppressor Israel poor underdogs, Palestine and so we're just going to side with the oppressed it's the same framework okay, so bizarre bizarre um, sort of allies who ought to totally hate each other, marching together. Because the world is viewed not through sin and righteousness or God and his people or anything like that. It is oppressor, oppressed, break free. Um, and freedom is all about, it's the great goal. Freedom is the great goal. Be yourself and therefore free yourself. You can't be yourself, some research stuff last week, until you've freed yourself from the various oppressors. And freedom is free to do what I want, be who I want, express my desires. <clears throat> so, just so we actually do look at some Bible to outweigh Marx, um, round tables, have a little look at John 6, 31 to 36, just five verses. How does Jesus' view of freedom differ from this modern one, or this Marxist one, if you like? And then, what are the implications for discipleship? Think particularly about the idea of desires in discipleship, if you can, and evangelism. If you happen to nail that, or you just get totally stuck, just do the bottom one, which a kind of classic lunch topic. Christianity is oppressive and enslaves you. It'll ruin your happiness. Yeah. What would you say if someone says that? There you go. Playtime round I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, John 8. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. it's really confusing. No, You've just got to think harder, Michael. Come on in. I just... <laughs> It's good to have another pastor in the room, too. Uh, sort of Thank you. Not John, not, not John 6, John 8. Probably makes more, probably makes more sense. Um. Okay. Um, lots, lots, you might say, on these questions. Um, the, the fundamental thing, I think, is, is, is getting to this idea of desire. So, for... Russo Marks. The modern world. Um, to be free is to follow your desires and throw off anything or anyone that stops you. For, for Jesus, when you're not a Christian, to follow your desires is slavery. You're enslaved by your desires. It is precisely your desires that you need freeing from by Jesus. So following your heart doing what comes from within. that That is exactly your problem. That's what sin is. It's following your heart, not following God's heart. You were created for this being so much bigger than yourself. And instead, we're following our hearts. Just is sin, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's really significant. Now, I, there's loads of different ways you might present that if you're doing talking with a non-Christian friend or, or whatever. But just on in the area of discipleship, this, this is really huge at the moment. Again, the sexual arena tends to be the one where this really kicks in. Um, you get, I think there are now almost three kind of big picture positions in the church. There are those who are saying, if you're just finding the church really broadly, of course we ought to let everybody follow their hearts, follow their desires, um, and we ought to free up Christians to be able to marry whoever they want. You know, we're an affirming church. Um, we're not going to oppress you. And Those are the churches that are just full on, you know, yeah same sex marriage whatever that's all fine there are, there's that section there's also moving a bit closer to home there is increasingly a section of the church that's saying well look your desires are your desires there we go they're like the colour of your hair or the colour of your eyes you can't do much about them um, now you mustn't act on them okay so the, the, these aren't the sort of liberal guys who are like yeah do what you want you mustn't act on them okay if, you, if you're a man you're attracted to other men I'm afraid you can't do anything about it but but the desire itself it's an effect of being fallen the world isn't perfect but it's not in and of itself the desires aren't sinful um, so there are lo- there's lots about me you could look at any human being and say that there are, there are things about John T that are fallen but not sinful so I'm going to die my body will waste away that is because of the fall Okay, it is not in and of itself sinful um, you get ill Okay, you know Charlotte's at home with a feeling sick that in and of itself feeling sick and if she's got a bug or whatever that is, that is not a sin but it is an expression of fallenness wouldn't have happened in Eden okay so you see there's a distinction between sin and the fall obviously it's only sin that leads to the fall and ultimately all this stuff is because of the curse as a result of sin I'm not denying that I'm just saying that there are categories of things you would say well it's, it's because of a fallen world you know earthquakes if your house falls down in an earthquake resolve the fall it's not necessarily a direct result of your sin So, some, I mean, evangelicals in England conservative evangelicals in England are saying desires are kind of in that category so your desire for someone even if they're of the same sex okay, don't act on it but we mustn't tell people to repent at the level of desire because that's just who they are um, if those of you who are students will know there was an event re- like last year where a guy came up from another organisation, wasn't UCF, but another organisation, and that, that's basically exactly what he, spoke, what he preached. Don't act on it, but the desire itself. Desire is just desire. Um, that's, that's really dangerous. The, the discipleship is at the level of desire because sin is exactly um, desiring stuff other than God or contrary to God's will. It's all about desire. It's not just actions. It is actions, but it's not just actions. It's about the heart. And so what, what we're praying... It's, Lord, set me free. Keep setting me free. Sin is actually slavery. Sin is following my desires. And I, that's wrong. It's wrong, and therefore it's not even good for me. It's not like sin is the good way to live, um, the pleasurable way to live ultimately, um, and Christianity and, and following Christ is, is ultimately going to be this disastrous, horrible way to live, but at least you don't get to hell. No, the best way to live is following Christ. So it is freedom from your sinful desires that we constantly... Pray to Jesus for, uh, and one day, obviously, He'll grant us in heaven. So, very different views of freedom: freedom to follow your desire, freedom from your wrong desires. Uh, hence, that Psalm we often pray, Psalm fifty-one, creating me a clean heart. That's what I need: a heart that desires the right things. That might provoke loads of questions. Do grab me if you like to, but let me pray, and we'll, we'll head next door. Lord Jesus we come to you again and we, we need cleansing from what we've done but also from what we desire. We desire so much that is wrong uh, not just in the area of, of sex but uh, selfishness and comfort and, and all sorts of things where we put our own wants above uh, the needs of others and above serving you. Forgive us again and we thank you for your grace I knew every morning that you've buried our sin at the bottom of the sea. But also, creating us a new heart. Cleanse us, we pray, to desire the right things, Set us free increasingly from our own selfish, sinful desires. And might you show us the joy of service, uh, the joy of knowing you. Uh, All this we ask because you are good and kind and gracious and will not hold our sin against us. And so we ask confidently in your name. Amen.